Be Wealthy and Smart, Episode 9. into a world of wealth and financial freedom without budgets, boredom, or bosses on Be Wealthy and Smart. And now, here's your host, Linda P. Jones. Welcome to Be Wealthy and Smart. I'm Linda P. Jones, America's Wealth Mentor, empowering women and men worldwide to financial freedom. This episode is called The Sixth Step to Wealth. In this episode, you're going to learn how to protect your wealth, what debt is actually good, why leverage is a two-edged sword, and the mindset of an investor. On our last shows, we learned the five first steps to wealth. They are, first, to create a wealthy mindset because how you think is the foundation of all wealth. The second step was to create a nest egg. A nest egg is important because that's the money you're going to start to invest with. The third step is to find a mentor because a mentor can save you time and money to get to your goal. The fifth step, I'm sorry, the fourth step is to invest in a money engine. A money engine is the vehicle that's going to grow your wealth. And the fifth step is to compound at a high rate because compounding really is the eighth wonder of the world, like Einstein said, and it's what builds wealth. The sixth step is to protect your wealth because you don't want to lose the wealth you just created. Now, in this episode, I'm going to talk a lot about debt. I'll talk about some types of debt and not other types of debt. I just want you to know it's not all that I have to say about debt. I have a lot to say about it, but there's much more than what I'm going to share with you here. But a lot of what I'm going to talk about today does involve talking about debt and leverage. So part of what I'm going to share with you today is how to decide when and if it makes sense to use leverage, when you should use debt actually to increase your rate of return. You know, a tried and true method that many millionaires have used is called other people's money or OPM. And if you've read any biographies of millionaires, which was my hobby for a long time, and when I was really young, it was something I loved doing, is reading how did people get wealthy? What did they do? What were the steps? And very often, they did use debt or some form of leverage in order to create their wealth. Nowadays, not everybody does that. I mean, now we have stock options that a lot of people have become wealthy and through the corporate sector, but wealth is still a factor of compounding and compounding still requires that you have some either capital or capital plus leverage that's going to get you the wealth. Whether that's borrowing from a bank, a home equity line of credit, or even credit cards, that rate of return is what's really important to you. And if you remember in step five, we learned moneychimp.com was the source of a calculation of compounding. So you can go kind of fiddle around with how much time or what rate can you compound at and how soon can you get to your financial goals. So, you know, it's a super important decision to make whether you're borrowing money or not, but 
one time when I was in my early 30s, I had the opportunity to start investing in foreclosed properties, foreclosed homes. And it was after a recession and there were a lot of foreclosures around and there weren't that many investors. And the larger priced homes, those that were several hundred thousands of dollars, were the ones where you could really, you know, create a lot of profit. So my partners and I uh, went in and bought several of those foreclosed homes and made some nice profits. And because I was a young person and didn't have a lot of money saved, I actually borrowed $100,000 on credit cards to be able to do that investment and make that investment. Now, knowing what I know and knowing the six steps back then, it was okay with me because I knew I was investing in an appreciating asset and I was very likely to get my money back plus a profit. And I did. I made about a 15% return, um, which actually would be a lot higher if I calculated it based on the actual capital that I used. But since I didn't use my own money and I used borrowed money, it would be an infinite rate of return. So, um, but using the $100,000 of borrowed money, it was a 15% rate of return. And it's something that, you know, it's your decision whether it makes sense to borrow or not. And you want to be really careful when you're making that decision to borrow and make sure it's for appreciating assets. So I decided that 30% was what I was trying to make in order to get me to my millionaire goal. And at that time, we had a stock market that started to really take off. But it's really important how you think and that you think like an investor and not like a spender. This is really crucial. And it's really important that you start looking at how are you spending your money? What are you spending your money on? By doing that, you're half the way there because it really matters. I had some friends that lived in New York City and they wanted to buy a house. This was a decade ago. And they realized that they didn't have a down payment and they were having a heck of a time coming up with the money for a down payment. But when we looked at how much were they spending to eat out every night and go out to nice restaurants and have very expensive meals and cocktails, etc., we realized that they had the money because they both worked and made very nice incomes. But the way they were choosing to spend their money meant that they weren't able to save their nest egg to actually make their investment in a home. So how you're spending is a really important part of that. And I realize that everybody's different. And some people have a lot of discretionary income and some people don't. Some people are barely scraping to get by and don't see how they're going to cut out one thing to save any money. And other people uh, have a lot of discretionary income. So, you know, whatever your situation is, just think about whatever dollars that you could be spending, you, you know, you could be spending for your investment. You could, you know, it, it's called opportunity cost. And we're going to talk about that actually in our next call. So I won't go too much into detail about it here. But it's really about understanding that you have a choice with every dollar you spend and it's going to impact your future. Investors really look at the rate of return on their money. And they use debt as a tool, and they use it for appreciating assets that can enhance your return and shorten the time it takes to build wealth. But the important part about debt is you don't want to let debt overstay its welcome. 
Back in history, there was a famous person named Archimedes. And Archimedes said, give me a fulcrum and I shall move the world. Give me a fulcrum and I shall move the world. Meaning, if you have a fulcrum and a large enough lever, you can move just about anything. And billionaires know this. They know the power of debt. They know the power of leverage. The leverage is that fulcrum that allows you to move large things or make large amounts of money, increase your rate of return dramatically if it's skillfully used. And I want, what I want you to do is get familiar with it. I want you to get comfortable with it. I want you to start understanding leverage and the power of leverage as a tool. And just before you go out and get into any debt for any reason, I want you to really understand it. I want you to start really studying debt and when to use debt and what are good reasons for it and how to minimize your risk with it. That's all part of the thinking of an investor. You know, you can leverage to build wealth, and many millionaires have, as I mentioned. But once it's built, you need to eliminate the leverage and protect the wealth that you've created. Because once you've achieved wealth, that's when it's really super important to diversify and pay off your debt. If you don't and remain leveraged, the leverage can sink into your, can sink your net worth as fast as it built it, especially if the asset depreciates. I've seen a lot of money made by leveraging and buying a strong performing investment engine only to be lost when that investment trend stops. One of the examples I have for you in this episode of a financial blunder, not blender, but blunder like plunder, is the founder of Chesapeake. Uh, Chesapeake was a natural gas company and the CEO was named Aubrey McClendon. And To buy more Chesapeake stock, he borrowed money from uh, his brokerage account. That's what's called buying on margin, when you use your stock as collateral and borrow against it, usually to buy more stock. In October 2008, just after the financial crisis erupted with the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers, he was forced to sell more than 31 million Chesapeake shares for a total of 569 million, half a billion dollars, to cover margin calls from the brokerage firm. The company's stock fell nearly 40% the week of his shares sales. So here was a billionaire who was leveraging and understood the power of leverage. He probably had leveraged a lot in order to get to the position he was in. What he didn't realize was the bankruptcy of Lehman Brothers was going to bring down the market, which was going to bring down the company's share value dramatically, which caused him to have margin calls, which means you have to either bring cash into the account to shore it up, or you have to sell shares in order to provide the cash to pay off the debt. And unfortunately, he had to sell his shares at a dramatic loss or dramatic reduction from where they had been. So he understood compounding, but he didn't foresee that there was this crisis coming where, you know, a person of his means actually should be diversifying and not be getting into a lot of debt again in order to protect their wealth. So the mistake he made was being a little bit greedy and getting leverage, staying leveraged too long and trying to make even more money 
in a situation that peaked out, a bubble popped, and unfortunately, he was uh, decimated by that. So diversifying can really help to protect your wealth. And since it protects you from loss, that makes a lot of sense. Diversification is really owning different assets that don't move in the same direction all at the same time. It's not easy to diversify in a perfect way because many assets are sort of interrelated. Certainly different size stocks, whether they're small company stocks or medium company called mid-cap stocks or large company called large cap or large capitalization stocks, they are still interrelated. They still are on stock markets and they can be impacted by the same things. Even bonds can be impacted to some degree in correlation with stocks. So ideally, what you want to do is try to find something that goes up when something else is going down. But the reality is many things go up somewhat and go down somewhat and are interrelated. So there's, it's, it's difficult to create perfect diversification where something is going up and another thing is going down because many things are you know, sort of codependent and impact each other. And debt is a double-edged sword. It can go up and it can go down like an elevator. It's basically a tool and it, it can be good or it can be bad. It just depends. But millionaires know that using leverage can increase your wealth building. And they have really, in many cases, learned to master leverage and debt. Think back to the oil boom of the 80s or the technology boom of the 90s and the real estate boom of the 2000s. Investors that were not too diversified, that were pretty concentrated in these areas during the time of the bubble, made huge wealth. But when the trend was over, those that didn't diversify to protect their wealth got creamed. And I've heard many stories of people who made millions owning homes, but refused to diversify and lost most of it. For example, I had heard a story of a real estate buyer who bought dozens of homes with very little money down in Arizona and accumulated a $5 million net worth pretty quickly. He was highly leveraged, he rented them out, and over time, as the market appreciated, he didn't change his strategy or pay off his debt. And when the market turned down, unfortunately, he lost everything. So debt can build you up quickly, but also can take you down quickly. And that's why the sixth step to wealth is protecting what you have by determining when that time is right to deleverage and to not carry any more debt and to say, enough is enough. I've made the money and I'm going to diversify and pay off some or all of the debt. It's always a good idea not to stay at the party too long and not to get too greedy. Using debt is a skill set to learn. When used right, you look brilliant as an investor when you're using leverage. And when it's kept too long and you haven't diversified to protect your assets, then you can look foolish like Aubrey McClendon. Once when I was in the investment industry, I remember someone who had made a lot of money, hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate as a real estate developer in the Seattle area, opened an account with a fellow uh, financial advisor that I worked with. And I remember the financial advisor was sort of marveling that 
this person had all this money and had made it in real estate and they were opening a stock account with him and he was very excited about it. But he was a little perplexed because the person wanted to borrow money and it didn't really make sense to him. Well, because I had studied millionaires and knew the six steps to wealth, it made perfect sense to me that this person had made hundreds of millions of dollars by leveraging and buying real estate. And he knew the power of leverage. He was skillful with debt. So, of course, he wanted to increase his stock account by using debt again. So he wanted to borrow against his shares of stock and buy more stock. Kind of what Aubrey McClendon was doing. Same thing. Uh, only this person wasn't quite as wealthy. But nonetheless, he was a very wealthy man. And I believe he understood the power of leverage, the skill of using leverage to increase your rate of return. And he was using that in, in a, a new way with stocks. He had done it with real estate, and now he was going to use it with stocks because he understood that power. So really, it's a skill. It's a tool. And it's something that's really important for you to understand. You know, I kind of laugh sometimes because debt is such a funny emotional topic. And everybody wants good credit. And having good credit is a fabulous thing. But as soon as someone uses credit and they borrow, all of a sudden they feel guilty and they feel like they have to get rid of the debt. And there's all these issues around it when it's just the other side of the same coin. It's just the other side of good credit. And as long as you're buying appreciating assets, the debt isn't bad. Bad debt is not, debt is not bad in and of itself. Debt is bad if you're using it for depreciating assets. If you're using it skillfully for appreciating assets, debt is not a bad thing. So we get sort of emotionally involved in thinking that we can't have any debt, we have to pay off our mortgage, we have to you know, not have any debt in our life. And that's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily the best thing for you. And it's not necessarily the right thing for you. If you're a young person, then having debt can make sense when you're buying a home because it can help you pay it off and dramatically increase your rate of return over the years. Now, of course, you want it to be a long-term investment, but it's something that I think, you know, people have made mistakes because they haven't used leveraged as a tool. They have become fearful of any debt and felt like they had to pay everything in cash. Well, it's different when you're 60 years old and close to retirement of course you may want to pay off all your debt and not have a mortgage. And that makes total sense to me. And it's also a form of diversification and protecting your wealth. So again, it depends on your situation. There's not a hard and fast rule for everyone. It depends, are you creating wealth or are you protecting your wealth and diversifying to protect it? So we really need to look at what are the stages where you are in your life and what do you need to do to get a higher rate of return what, you know, what do you need to do to protect your wealth? Those are two different conversations to, to have. But one thing that's really important when using debt and leverage is to think opposite of the masses, to think more like an investor. An investor thinks like a contrarian. They think opposite of what most people are doing. If everyone's investing in real estate, I can tell you that probably that trend is close to a peak. Because when everybody's in, it's just like 
uh, JFK's father, Joseph Kennedy, who, when he went to have his shoe shined, and the shoe shine boy told, gave him a stock tip, he said he went and sold all of his stock because if everybody was in the market, including the shoe shine boy, there was no one else left to invest. That was a contrarian. That was a contrarian move. He went and did the opposite because everybody else was doing the same thing. You know, it's funny. Sometimes I'll uh, see a bunch of ants outside and they'll be all on some sort of, you know, feasting on something. And I'll come along and as soon as I see a bunch of these ants, I'll scoot, you know, something or move that thing that they're all feasting on or pick it up or whatever. And I kind of laugh and I think about sort of like that's how investments get to be. Sort of when there's this feeding frenzy on investments, somebody's going to come along and ruin that party. <laughs> that party's not going to continue on very much longer. So that's kind of a, a gross example, perhaps, with ants. But it kind of does remind me of that when I, whenever I see them attacking something. I think, oh, yeah, it's, it's sort of like that's the peak of a bubble because everybody's in and that party's about to end and the bubble's about to pop. So you want to really be thinking the opposite of what everyone else is doing. And perhaps now might be a time to think about if everyone seems to be holding on to their home, they don't want to sell, they're renting them out, uh, perhaps that is a good time to sell. Perhaps being a contrarian and selling makes a lot of sense. I think that this probably is a good time to sell a house between now and the next year. And we know next year the Federal Reserve, which is a private bank, a private group of bankers that have a lot of control. They are not federal. They are not part of the government. They are private individuals who have a lot of control. And they particularly have control over interest rates, which happens to affect the economy dramatically. And next year, the Fed says they will raise interest rates. When that happens, that will be very similar to what happened in 2007-2008, which is what sparked the whole economic downturn. So if rates are going up next year, that also will likely uh, bring down the value of houses because it will impact how much people can borrow. If you have to pay more in interest because interest rates have gone up, then the value of the home has to come down so that you can make that payment. When rates are going down and interest is less, the value of the home can go up because you can afford to pay more. So <clears throat> what about when interest rates rise? That is a key indicator in the economy. And as I mentioned, it was what triggered the last crisis. You know, variable mortgages were tied to interest rates and those homeowners had their payments go up and they couldn't make them, so then they had to sell their home or have them repossessed, and the number of homes on the market increased, and then that just continued to drop prices in the market as supply uh, began to outpace demand, and so on. So we could be seeing something like that happen again in the future. We hope not, but it's likely that we will have some repercussions against housing because when interest rates go up, this is just the matter of course. It's just what happens when interest rates rise. It tends to bring down the value of homes. So we want you to be protecting your wealth and not carry a lot of debt if the economy is close to the peak of the bubble. 
And thinking like an investor, you want to look at, are there signs of a top? You know, a top usually comes in the market or in a bubble when prices grow, go up dramatically in a short period of time. When people are stampeding to buy or standing in line to buy that particular asset. When shortages occur. And when there's anecdotal evidence, like television shows talking about flipping houses or cocktail parties where people are bragging about how much money they're making flipping houses and things like that. Because no trend goes on forever. Everything moves in cycles. And so there will come a time when an investment will look like it will go on forever because maybe it's been going up for 20 years or so or even 30 years in some cycles. But it's not going to go up forever. So just understand that things move in cycles. Nothing continues to rise forever. And there are other opportunities out there that have probably been out of favor for 20 or 30 years that people haven't looked at in a long time and aren't really noticing that they're starting to do well. So I mentioned that when you use debt, one of the important things is to buy increasing assets or something that will bring you more income. Some of the things I think make sense to use debt or leverage for are perhaps a student loan to get a college education, perhaps to start a business, to buy a home. But I'm not a fan of using debt for purchases of cars, vacations, recreational vehicles, motorcycles, designer handbags, etc. So the other thing that um, I mentioned a little bit earlier is home mortgages aren't always bad. Just remember you can increase your rate of return dramatically if you use some leverage. And because I think that we could have a housing downturn in the next year or so, I'm suggesting that you have at least 30% equity in your home to be cautious because if we have another drop in values that's dramatic, then at least hopefully you won't be underwater. Um, I think having only 10% equity right now is super aggressive and I would recommend that you do pay down your mortgage a bit. And if you're a young person, maybe not having a mortgage is not an efficient use of money. If you're a young person and you have your mortgage paid off, maybe you want to think about, are you really still wealth building or are you protecting your assets? If you're protecting, then you are happy with what you've made and you don't really need to make more. You're just trying to protect what you have. But if you are growing what you have, then you want to think about the skillful use of leverage, even with a home. So I hope that makes sense, that 30% equity or better is a good number. But think about you know, having some equity um, down and maybe borrowing some if you are still wealth building. One school of thought is that if rates are low, you should borrow all you can. And this is an interesting concept because, you know, here we are with rates somewhere around 4 or 5%, somewhere in there to borrow at a fixed rate. And when rates go back up, which usually interest rates move in a 30-year cycle, so again, they peaked in 1982, probably bottomed in 2012, have started to move up a little bit again. What will you be thinking when interest rates hit 12%? Will you be thinking, gosh, 
what, what was I thinking? Was I asleep? I should have borrowed everything I could at 4%. You know, the rule of 72 is an interesting rule, and it will help you sort of analyze what makes sense about borrowing. It really tells you when money doubles, and it's time times interest rate, when they equal 72, money doubles. So for example, if you earn 8% for nine years, eight times nine is 72, your money will double in nine years at 8%. The same thing is, applies when you borrow money. So let's say you have a loan at 12%, 12 times six equals 72, that means the loan that you borrow at 12% will double in six years. And if you can borrow at 4%, that means the money that you borrowed would double with, with the interest in 18 years. So at 12%, if you're borrowing, your debt would, would double in six years. At 4%, your debt would double in 18 years. So you can see why perhaps it makes sense to borrow more money at lower interest rates and just have that available to you, either through a line of credit, a home equity line of credit, or something like that, where you can lock in a fixed rate if possible. It may not be possible, but it depends on the bank. But it's something to think about. Again, if you're using leverage skillfully, you wanna think about when is a good time to borrow and what interest rate can you borrow at, and can you earn more than the interest that you're paying on the loan? If you're only paying 4%, it's probably relatively easy to figure out a way to make more than 4%. Conversely, if you're gonna to have to borrow at 12%, it may not be so easy to figure out a way to make more than 12%. So I have a listener question this week, and the question is, where in the world can I compound my money at a higher rate? Well, first I would ask for you to look at any debt you have. And if you do have debt, what is the rate on your debt? If you have, for example, credit cards where you're paying 15%, if you pay off those credit cards, that's like earning 15%. So that can be a source of a high interest rate for you if you pay off the debt that you have. The other thing I would ask is what's the use of the money? What's the purpose of the money that you are wanting to compound at a higher rate. Is it short-term or is it long-term? If it's short-term money and you're gonna need it soon, then you're pretty much stuck to lower rates. There's not a whole lot you can do. <clears throat> if it's long-term, we'll be covering some opportunities to compound at higher rates a little bit later on. And I'll give you a hint. I would look outside of stocks, bonds, CDs, money markets, or real estate. So it really depends, what's your use of the money, how long are you going to use it, and if you have some debt right now that you can pay off, that's a great way to basically earn the amount that you would have to pay on the debt. So during this session, you learned how to protect your wealth, why leverage is a two-edged sword, what kind of debt is good, and how debt can increase your rate of return, and the mindset of an investor or a contrarian. So I hope that you are, have had some thought-provoking uh, ideas and concepts about debt and maybe a new twist on how you have thought about debt. And maybe you can think about debt differently 
and really understand that it's a tool. It's a skillful tool that's going to be an important part of the arrows in your quiver that you use to build your wealth. So I hope I've given you a new way to look at it. Well, there you have it. These are the six steps to create wealth. And these six steps are really the answer to my lifelong question, which is how does wealth grow and why are some people rich? And in most cases, it's likely that they followed these six steps. So I'm glad that we've had this as a foundation because in future shows, we can go more into depth and continue to refer back to these basic steps. But I really wanted you to have these six steps so that you understood from A to Z how wealth really grows. Because I was looking for someone to tell me, how does it work? How do you create wealth? And I never could find it. Most of the time, if people talked about six steps to wealth or eight steps or four steps or two steps or whatever, it was sort of a, a list of things that didn't really go together, didn't flow, and they weren't step one, do this first, then next, then next, then next. They were sort of just a hodgepodge of invest in a 401k and you know, do this and do that. So I hope that you see how different this is in that we're starting with step one, which is create a wealthy mindset, really working on how you think. Step two, saving a nest egg and getting money put together so you can invest. Step three, finding a wealth mentor so you can save time and money to get to your goal. Step four, investing in a money engine, that thing that's going to actually create the wealth for you and grow. Step five, compound at a high rate because compounding is the eighth wonder of the world and that is what magically creates wealth for you. And then step six, protect your wealth. Don't stay leveraged too long. Don't over leverage. Don't be greedy. Protect what you have. And those are the six steps to wealth. So start today to put this into practice for yourself and move closer to your financial freedom. Your action step for today is to review your uses of debt. Are you using it for the right reasons? Are you using it for appreciating assets or income? Or are you using it for depreciating assets like cars and motorcycles and vacations and things like that? What is your plan to determine when you'll pay off your debt? And are you comfortable with the amount of debt that you have on your home if you do? And if you don't, is it appropriate that you don't have debt on your home? So remember, no asset increases nonstop forever. And it's important for you to look at cycles and think about where are we in certain cycles? Are we at the top? Are we in the middle? Are we at the bottom? And record it in your wealth journal. I want to thank everybody who's given feedback on the show. I've been getting some really good reviews, and I so appreciate it. It really helps to get more um, publicity for the show, if you, if you will. It gets um, definitely seen by more people, the more ratings I have. And I'm just really grateful for the ratings that you've given me. I love reading the reviews, and it really spurs me on to read what you have to say. To encourage people who haven't yet written a review, I'm offering a free audio, 20 minutes, Secrets of Billionaires, if you rate the show and send an email to support at lindapjones.com. 
I'm also really encouraged. So many people are signing up for the 21 Days to a Wealthy Mindset. And again, if you're wanting to get started on the first step to wealth, your wealthy mindset, go over to my website, bewealthyandsmart.com, and sign up for 21 Days to a Wealthy Mindset. There are videos, audios, and information to help you change your thinking from lack to wealth in 21 days. Because how you think is the foundation for everything else we're doing. So get started now removing those limiting beliefs. Again, that's BeWealthyAndSmart.com. That's all for today. Look forward to you next time. Until then, live the good life and be wealthy and smart. Thank you for listening to Be Wealthy and Smart with Linda P. Jones. Share the wealth and tell your family and friends about the show. Check out our website, blog, and social media for more riches at www.bewealthyandsmart.com.